0: Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Midnight McBride show, show number 68. I'd just like to say a couple of words. I've not had a shave and I'm not quite firing all cylinders this week. If you don't know, a good friend of ours and somebody that has been a big part of my journey in the past, and I've known her for probably 30 years, Kelly Walsh, took a life uh, at the beginning of this week. So, yeah. Just sending a lot of love out, especially to Kirsty E. Karens, and I may do a separate little video just recalling some funny stories about some of the things we got up to with Kelly. Anyway, today's show, show number 68, is called Medea's Magic, and I've been having so much fun with the fact that I can go, yes, Medea. Uh, I find a lot of comedy in that, but there's a reason for it, and I've got a wonderful human being and an inspirational lady who I've only come across recently. She's one of Liam's yoga rebels. And through that avenue, I've met so many beautiful people from that tribe. We have Medea Sosan. Medea, boom.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Hi.
0: Now, in your name tag for this show, it's going to say award-winning motivational speaker and podcast host. That is the tip of the iceberg with some of the things you do as we went through your show notes. I realised you'd even miss loads of stuff out your show notes because you've done that much stuff and it's fascinating. The reason why your story is beautiful is because it's not been a smooth ride and you've had lots of issues over the years and through your childhood growing up and suffered from anxiety, didn't go outside for a while. Then you have a, an out-of-body experience, start of your spiritual awakening, which is probably where the podcast title comes from, sure. and off you went, and then it's it's like you're on a one-woman mission to take over the world now, you're doing uh, amazing things, so delighted to have you on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, thank okay.
0: you. Okay, we'll just talk about a couple of things, you've also been, we'll touch on them now, but you've been a, a warrior princess, or a, a badass warrior <laughs> recently, in a... A a video, a movie, and a music video. And you've also, you were working for TEDx for a while there as well, looking after some, which I didn't know. Uh, It's like you've done that much stuff that it didn't even make it into your show notes, you know. So with this show, I always say, one of the quotes out of my book is, your past doesn't define you, it's just the view on the journey to this present moment. And I like to talk about somebody's journey everything that they've done in their life up to this point because it explains things. And especially if it's not been an easy ride, it then becomes an inspirational, you know, which is what you are, my dear. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I love that. Yes, my dear. Of course, my dear. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've had that in the past as well. I was like, my dear or my dita. I was like, just call me Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> it was easier. <laughs> Maddy,
0: yeah, yeah. So we'll start at the beginning, my dear. And start your journey. And you were born in Pakistan.
1: Yes. What part? In Rawalpindi. Rawalpindi, right. Pakistan.
0: I can't even actually say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to practice it? now? Well, right. I can read it. Okay, let's read
0: it. Rawalpindi.
1: Rawalpindi.
0: Rawalpindi.
1: Rawal... No, I'm copying you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've messed with you, you no. You can't say it. You, uh... Yeah. But you were born in Pakistan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... You're an only child. Yes. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Start with your journey there.
1: So, yeah, I was born in Rawalpindi, and um, uh, my parents, didn't. they decided not to have any more kids. I was like, okay, yeah. you know. <laughs> I was like, now I'm thinking, why not?
0: <laughs> you probably said, do we really want another one of
1: her? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was another soul trying to come in. I was like, why yeah. did you make that decision? I want to come in this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, uh, yes. Um, but we didn't have much... Uh, life in Pakistan was extremely hard um, because we didn't have much money. Um, yeah.
0: Did uh, did they work your parents or...?
1: Yeah, well, my dad was a nurse in hospital. My mom was uh, ill. She had hepatitis C, so, um, you know, she couldn't work, but my dad did most of the work. We still struggled uh, with money.
0: Yeah. And you lived with your grandma, is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah.
0: Is this... Right from the offset, or at a certain point, what what happened?
1: Right from the beginning. Um, First, my mom. You know what? In in Asian sort of world, when um, you get married, um, you move to your your husband's parents. But um, there was something that went on there that my dad stopped seeing his family, so we moved in um, with my grandma. Right, all of you did. Yeah, me, my mum and dad, yeah. Ah right, yeah. right, right. Yeah.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. This then meant that you you didn't have money for your mum's medicine or treatment?
1: Yeah, so um, because we didn't have any money, my mum was struggling quite badly. Uh, in Pakistan you have to uh, you have to have a lot of money to like basically thrive. You know, um, there's no, the, the system, the healthcare system in Pakistan isn't like how it is in England, you know, with NHS. We're so, we're so grateful that we have NHS. But in Pakistan, if you, you have to pay for every single thing, even your tests and your anything, even if you have serious illness, you have to pay money. Yeah. Um, so because we didn't have enough money, my mom's um, symptoms were untreated um and she was struggling quite badly actually there was i remember when um i think i was two or three um when the whole neighborhood came around to our place i was like what is going on here and i saw my mom on the bed like really ill and one of the lady was uh she went past and she goes she goes to me that oh your mom may not survive this and like i was like three year old hearing this um and if i could feel that energy of intense energy around around our house um but eventually i don't know i think they gathered all the money uh, to take my mom to a hospital hospital to get her treated uh because if if you don't treat hepatitis c because it attacks in the liver so you know if you don't treat it it's you know um it could turn out really bad
0: so did they mm-hmm. As a community, did they all contribute so that you might yeah. get the truth? Yeah. Right. Well, that's yeah. a beautiful and the family thing, isn't as well. it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah which, is, which is amazing. That's one of the things that I do like about, um, you know, Pakistan. Culture-wise, we all come together. It's like really tight-knit. Yeah. Um, even if someone's in trouble, they, you know, we're the first one there to help them out.
0: You then said mm. your, your father came to the UK when you were three. So he went ahead, did he, before... Yeah. Yeah, and and that was to earn money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So because obviously we didn't have enough money, um, so my dad was like, you know, my uncle was here, so he had his business here, and he he got him was like, okay, you can come and work for me. Uh, so my dad moved to the UK to uh, create a better life for us. Yeah. Um, around when I was three.
0: What did he do when he got here? What did he work Well,
1: as? he worked in a post office first and then a shop. He worked in a shop um, and then he, he, was, he was working multiple jobs, really, like he was in news agents and takeaways and things like that.
0: Once your dad comes to the UK, you said that your mum wasn't able to look after you and your grandma. So what happened then?
1: So then my auntie and her husband took us in and um, my other uncle took my grandma in because it was difficult.
0: So your grandma's at your uncle's and then your other auntie and your uncle, that's where you and your mum yeah.
1: are. Yeah.
0: You then moved on to your school life and you said you were abused at school. Now, this is sort of physical abuse, but not sexual abuse, is that right? It's yes. It's where... I'll let you tell us, yeah.
1: Yeah, so basically, uh, I don't know, teachers in Pakistan, they're quite harsh. And uh, there was one teacher who kept, she was only doing it to me, not to anyone else, but um, she would get me in front of the class and she would ask me to read something. If I couldn't pronounce anything, she would hit me in, in, in the back, she'd punch me, she would slap me. And uh, she would hit me with rulers and um, send me out the class, in boiling hot, because, like, t- around, in Pakistan, it's, like, 50-something degrees in summer, around summer. Yeah. Um, and I used to be in outside, like, standing there, and it was quite... School was quite terrifying, because I, I didn't really... It was like I didn't really want to be there, you know? Yeah.
0: Was she malicious? Did she behave like this with all the kids?
1: No, she was just doing it to me. I was the only person that she was picking on and every time she would come near me, I would be afraid because she would come near me with a ruler and then like she just out of blue, it's like she'll read my text, like what like what you've written and then she would just hit me with a ruler. She, she'll tell me to get my hands out and she'll start hitting me.
0: I find it incredible that in this country, you know, up until, I don't know, I'll go back 35 years ago, 30 years ago, corporal punishment was still intrinsic and part of the schooling system and how how ridiculous a child isn't learning very well struggling at school I know let's use physical violence that'll that'll get them to learn that won't get them to learn anything mm. you know but that was how we were conditioned and programmed and we believe that was acceptable hitting a child in any way as far as I'm concerned is unacceptable it shows lack of intelligence and really poor Communication skills from any adult if they have to resort to hitting a child. Mm -hmm. If you can't explain and reason to that child and show them sympathy, empathy, compassion, and love, then it's the adult that needs it's got the problem, not the child.
1: Yeah. um, But when you're younger, you don't realize it. You know, I only came across. I didn't think much of it until I was doing my own healings, like my self worth issues and self esteem issues are going back to what the teacher was doing to me. I mm. didn't realise that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you have experiences like that as a kid, yes. you can carry them for many years, you mm. know. turn Many put, years. Put, yeah. It plays
1: out in your relationships. It plays out your, in your everyday life without you realising it.
0: So then you're off on your travels Medea. You yeah. come to the UK at seven years old. How was that?
1: That was uh, a beginning was quite difficult because I didn't speak any English and that meant I had no friends. And, um, you know, still my dad, my parents were struggling to uh, earn money for us. And um, school life was difficult as well. Obviously, I didn't speak English. I didn't have any friends. And You know, every time, and I was afraid of school because of what was happening in Pakistan. So every time a teacher would come near me, I would just be so afraid of her. And for a month, for for months and months, I would every day I would cry in school, and the teachers didn't know what was going on. My parents didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why I was afraid. I I just knew that I need to be afraid of this figure, this person. Yeah this authoritative figure.
0: That pattern didn't repeat once you got to the UK though, did it? It was isolated with that particular teacher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it was just in my subconscious mind that there's danger here. yeah. And that's why you used to cry. And I remember like going into meetings with the principal, with my parents and they used to, they they ended up like saying, okay, if she doesn't stop crying, then we're going to have to put her in special needs school. So I stopped crying, but then slowly, when the teachers were quite nicer, and more gentle here, and, you know, I had a really loving teacher and um, she, I got, like, I got, like, attached to her in a way, it was nice not getting hit by a teacher, you know.
0: I mean, if you get the right teachers when you're a kid, you you learn quick and you're happy. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You were in Bury, weren't you? Yeah. When you first came here. Yeah. And which school did you go to?
1: I went to St Thomas's School. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. It, was, it was beautiful. It was really good memories there.
0: Now, this I found quite unusual, and and it is, is that you were in a cricket team.
1: Yes. Mm. The
0: only female in the cricket team. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even when I was at school, girls weren't allowed in the cricket team. You yeah. Know, I'm obviously older than you. How old are you, my dear?
1: I'm thirty-three.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at school, girls couldn't be in the cricket team. I'm, mm. I don't, not agreeing with it, but that, that that's how it was mm. in my childhood. So, yeah. I mean, you must have been buzzing.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, once I got settled into school, um, I ended up, uh, in uh, taking wickets and hitting sixes, like well, just a normal PE session, and. One of my teacher went up to the principal and said, "You need to have a look at this girl. She needs to be on the on the team." And he looked at me and it was like, "I was like smashing everyone like with hitting sixes and," and he said, "Well, can do you want to play in the next um, next match?" And I was like, "Yes!" And he's, he and he goes, "We need to have permission from your parents," and I was like, "Uh oh," because my parents are one of those is like. Um, You should not play with a guy. You should not touch a guy. You should not even be near a guy. (laughs) So um, it took a lot of like uh, courage to like for me to ask my parents and, and even the principal came to our house to ask permission whether I could play in, in the team. And my dad was eventually, he was like, no, I'm not allowing, allowing that because you're young. We don't do that. We don't mix with guys and girls. We don't do that. Um, eventually he agreed because he knew how, uh, how good I was. We, me and my dad used to play cricket in the park every single day. He used to train me. Yeah. And um, yeah, so eventually I did end up being in in team and the next match was well, like, I remember walking out in um, in the ground, and the the other team were like they started laughing at me. It's like, oh my god, what is gonna, what is this girl gonna do? She's gonna break a nail or something. And I, I ended up like just again smashing them, hitting for my first ball was a wicket, straight on wicket, and they were like, what is going on? Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> you can sometimes use that when you turn up and they're mocking you or ridiculing you. Think I'll I'll show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing is as well, you're. You're quite small. You're teeny tiny. Yeah, I know. And uh, so you must have packed a punch, a little pocket rocket.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's the theme for me. Nobody knows what I can come out with. I stay silent until bang, and <laughs> they don't realise what's coming at them.
0: At this point, Medea, your family is still struggling for money, and you mentioned in your notes that your father's working multiple jobs. Um, there's also a mention about sleeping on the floor as well. T- tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so... We lived in a we were, we rented a private it was rent private rented a house and we couldn't afford to pay the heating. Uh, so my uh, we had like in the living room we had one heater and one bed, and my mom and dad gave me the bed while they slept on the floor and that was our life for two years.
0: Right. Yeah. So your mom and dad were on the floor.
1: Yeah, they were literally on the floor, hard floor, sleeping.
0: Yeah. It's funny in life, sometimes I look back and I've had financial difficulties, I've been in bed sits on more than one occasion in my life, you know, and, and had nothing. And although it's a tough period of your life, quite often I look back on that and it reminds you what's important. When you have nothing, yes. you you're very aware of what's actually important.
1: Yeah, I know. say that all the time to and everyone, like don't look at that story as in there's something that, something bad happened. Look at it in a way where, you know, I'm just so grateful that I had my dad and my mom. I was I was reunited with my dad and we used to play cricket together and we used to sit around the uh, heater. We used to play board games. Ludo is like really special, like sort of board game in, in Pakistan. So yeah. yeah, so we used to play that all the time, laughing and joking. Um, you know, even though my mum and dad were really stressed out, it was quite blissful at the same time.
0: It looks like that regardless of external circumstance and what's going on in the outside world, they still always made you a priority. Yes. For the fact that they're on the floor and you're in the bed when you're only teeny tiny. Yeah. I would say, you're on <laughs> yeah. <aunt> the floor, love. <laughs>
1: it's because I used to move around so much and my mum's like, I'm not going get, to get on the bed with her. And my dad's like, OK, I'm just going to sleep yeah. on that
0: floor. <laughs> With your father playing cricket with you, Medea, is do you think he wanted a, a boy or did you think it just didn't matter to him? Or well,
1: to my to my dad, it wasn't a big deal. He he loved me regardless, uh, but his family didn't like the fact that I was I was a girl. You know, right? Uh, they are very backdated families like we. You know, if you're gonna give birth, you have to give birth to, to a boy.
0: Yeah, 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 I can't get my head around that, but I know that's quite often the mentality, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you it know. is, it is in, in, in the culture, and I've i never met my dad's side of family because my dad moved away from them. Right. Uh, they weren't, apparently, weren't nice people.
0: Uh, well, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just not my place to judge, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, then you're off on your travels again, and you're in Levenshume. Yes. Tell us, tell us about this next part of your
1: journey. Right, so I got admission in Gills High School, Zoom High School, and um, uh, it was we were quite in a rush to find a place because Bury and Levenshulme is quite a bit further, you know, travel, quite a lot of travel going on. So yeah. um, we found uh, another private rented place, wasn't great, you know, it wasn't, it was half complete, but because we were def- desperate, we needed to, uh, we needed to get it. So. It was damp, half complete. There was rats everywhere. And Uh it was not not healthy living conditions. Like, it's just not. Was
0: your mum working at the same time or just your dad?
1: No, just my dad because my mum's always been ill. So she was in and out of hospital majority of the time. And my mum suffered from anxiety and depression quite a lot as well. uh, Because she's had quite a... She's had traumatic life experiences herself. Yeah and um, yeah so it was just my dad always working um uh, multiple jobs
0: so this next part of your journey it's 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 quite sad obviously but at the age of 13 then you, your your dad gets a diagnosis what what was that
1: he was uh, diagnosed with cancer in his bladder first uh, that was soon as we moved into 11 when we moved to 11 room yeah and um yeah he uh, yeah, he was diagnosed with cancer and he was in his blood and they did the operation on him uh as soon as they could because it was spreading. Um yeah, and and after after uh, after uh, the operation he um he was okay, you know, I, I was given the news like, you know, he's gonna be fine. Even at first when we found out, my parents didn't tell me anything. They they obviously wanted to protect me, but um, they didn't really tell me that, oh, how bad it was.
0: Yeah. And
1: the doctors gave him like two, uh, like maximum of two years to live, um, like a year to live. And um, but my parents were like still putting up a front. It was like, yeah, everything is going to be OK. Your dad's going to be fine. The doctors said that he's going to be fine after the operation. So I was walking around thinking my dad was going to be OK, you know. It's no big deal. And I was young. I didn't really know much about can- what cancer was at that time. And then um, uh, several months later, it came back and it came back with a bang. It he, um, he came back in his uh, bow, and then it spread really, really fast, yeah, really quickly. And I remember, like, he w- used to go for radiation, chemotherapy. He used to be so ill, like... With the pain of it, like you know he used to roll on the floor crying in pain and um, it was it was really hard to it was really hard to see it was really hard horrific. I mean it's normally you know you don't want to see your your parents like that. you don't normally you you, you look up to them you, you see them healthy and fine and fit you know uh, but since the age, Since I was born, all I've seen was my parents ill, my mum got ill and she was really extremely ill and then my dad got ill around the age of 13.
0: In some ways, as difficult as it is, especially when you're a child and you see your parents who, when you're very young, you know, these like demigods almost and then you see them deteriorate. But there is a blessing in disguise in that if you know the time's approaching, you've got that, that warning, so you can make sure you do spend some quality time with him, which is what you did.
1: Mm, yeah, I did. Um, but up until he passed away, I was still walking around thinking he was going to be fine because my parents made me think that. You know, they, they constantly said, even though the doctors were telling them something different, that he's, he's only got a couple of months to live, he's, only, he's, he's spreading really fast. They were telling, him, telling me the complete opposite. It got to a point until he was really bad and he ended up in hospital and, and then one day everyone was rushing around in the house and I was like, what is going on? And then that's when my mom sat me down and said that your dad stopped breathing. He's only got a couple of days to live. That was like, Phew. what? Yeah. You were telling me that he's gonna be absolutely fine. He's getting treated. He's gonna make it through this. And the next minute, you say, "Oh, he's dying!" In the next couple of minutes, uh, days. Sorry. Um, that was that was a bit of a shock. It was like I was maybe perhaps I was walking around in denial for a while as well. Yeah.
0: How old were you when your father actually passed?
1: Around uh, thirteen. So 13. he died within a year.
0: And you said that. Whilst this is going on, you were being bullied at school as well. Yeah. yeah. What was happening there?
1: Um, yeah, so throughout Year 7, I was uh, bullied by heavily by quite, uh, two girls and... Um,
0: it's a shame you didn't have your warrior outfit then. Yeah. And like, no, badass warrior.
1: You could have
0: you yeah. sorted him out.
1: Yeah, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't really have any friends because I was in and out of school, you know, with everything was going on at home. I started suffering from anxiety myself. And, um, yeah, so I didn't really have any friends. And it was just, it just felt like, you know, there was just a couple of girls who were just picking on me. Uh, I don't yeah. want to get too much details, no. uh, but... um
0: were the physical with you or just was no, it I No, no, it
1: was just the the verbal. Yeah. yeah. Sort of I mean feels, sometimes yeah. that
0: can be far worse than yeah. the physical aspect. Yeah. You you get a bruise, you get a cut, it heals fairly quickly. Some of the mental scars can stay for a long time. Yeah.
1: Lot longer, I mean you know? like my uh, you know when um, when I actually one memory that keeps popping up is um uh, when I was standing uh, at the gates and these two girls just came rushing in and she's shouting and screaming at me and and my dad was coming as so I was waiting for my dad to pick me up and he was coming and he came rushing in. I was like, get lost. Yeah, don't do this. And, you know, he was quite like really angry. And, you know, at that moment, I had to sort of pull him away from them. Um, but, you know, it's it's that memory of having that father figure, father yeah. protection and yeah. um, the... You know, yeah, it's, 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 it's sometimes it's, it's really hard to talk about because when I was in school, like I said, I didn't have anybody. So I, I remember sitting at the science class right at the back with only one bench while everyone else was, were with their friends. And I was alone right at the back and I used to just do whatever I needed to do, walk around my school on my own, like think just to pass time because yeah. I didn't have anyone to sit with.
0: It's almost like you think, you know, you've had a rough ride up to this point and then your dad's diagnosed with cancer, terminally ill, then your father passes, you're getting bullied at school and you think, you know, what else? What, how can it get any worse? But then your mother's health takes a big dive at this yeah. point as well. What happened there?
1: Yeah, so soon after my dad passed away, uh, around six or seven months later, my uh, mom had a severe rheumatoid arthritis attack. And um, she was completely bed bound with hepatitis C, depression, obviously losing, losing her husband, and and then this uh, uh, severe rheumatoid arthritis where her fingers were like sort of swelling up and bending really, really fast, and doctors were really worried at this point. And yeah, so she was, I it was like my whole world was just falling apart. You know, ever since I was little, all I've seen was pain and suffering and seeing my parents ill. So one after the other, one after the other. And then my mom was like completely crippled. So I had to become her carer at the age of 14.
0: Yeah. And you say at this point, then you were out of school for three years.
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah. Because I had to take up the caring responsibilities. So I was from year eight, nine and bit of ten. I missed school completely.
0: From an academic point of view, they're the critical years, aren't they? That's when you, you're approaching your exams.
1: Yeah. Like, you, they say that your GCSE is the most important. But you quickly learn that it's not. You don't have, you know... I, I I believe that, you know, even people who've gone on to do great things, um, they've not had any education.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I agree. It helps to get you into certain doors, you know, open certain doors for you. But do you need certain qualifications to be successful in life? Bear in mind, I don't judge success on financial gain anyway. It's about being happy. But do you need those qualifications? No, you don't,
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: know. But if you want to be a a doctor or a dentist or certain things, then, you know, you do.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: You then start to question God. You lose your belief in God. So up to this point, prayer, what was your religious upbringing?
1: So, yeah, my family's uh, Muslim. Yeah. Uh, but I was sort of dipping in and out. You know, I was trying to make up, make up my mind. But when I started suffering from all of this, you know, all of things were happening to me, I I kind of just became an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I was like, if God was real, why would he make me suffer? Why would he make anyone else suffer?
0: Up until this point, then you did believe in God?
1: Mm, I was a bit 50-50. Wasn't really sure. Mm. I know, like, my parents say, oh, you should pray to God, you you know, it's like... But, yeah, it wasn't half-hearted. I wasn't too bothered.
0: But I suppose you get to a certain point, and you're not alone. Lots of people do this, where if you do have beliefs, and then you just keep getting trodden on, and you're suffering Mm. all the time, and you think, you know what if there was a god why would he do this mm. you know and then people lose the the faith and the beliefs it it rocks the world doesn't
1: it yeah yeah and i think most most people at that point when you're suffering it's easier to dive into a victim mentality you know and that's where i was when i lost faith in a source of all things you know I lost faith. faith when I lost faith I was in victim mentality it's like why is this happening to me why is life against me God isn't real he's like you know he's not even here <laughs> you know I used to just question every single thing
0: this is the point then my dear I, I do like that yes my dear because I, <laughs> I actually do say that you know I call my partner Willow I her darling mm. and I say my dear as mm. well you know yes my dear <laughs> yeah this is the point when you started suffering from anxiety depression things along these lines I've been through all of this so mm. I've had a nervous breakdown I had terrible anxiety I had panic attacks depression and yeah for a long period, I couldn't even go outside mm. you know it was rough so yeah tell us about that
1: yeah so um were around, because of all the pressures on my shoulders, I started suffering from crippling anxiety and depression. to a point I could not even leave the house, you know. Uh, every time I would go to my garden, I would have a severe panic attack. And I used to have like community befrienders come and take me to the garden first and then they would come again and then they would take me to the street and then they would come again and they would take me to the park. That's how bad it was. And
0: Almost like having a carer, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah,
1: I was a carer, but there was someone else caring yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, it, was quite, it, was, it, it, it was like I was living in my own hell. That that was the, I w- I, you know, I used to binge eat. I, I think I may have had eating disorders, you know, binge eat and i put on a lot of weight. And, and then I would go a couple of weeks without eating anything, just throwing up. And um, it was horrific. It's like, it was almost like I was caged in my own hell and then I didn't see a way out. Mm. Such a dark place.
0: It was a long period as well, this, for yes. myself, it was a much shorter period. It was, it was significant, and I thought about ending my life and all of those things. But for you, this was a decade. It was you were yeah. like this for ten it years. It was.
1: It was more than ten years. Around the age of eighteen, after college, that's when I really, really, really started suffering. Um, and yeah, so it was just uh, I was cooped up inside of my house for years and years and years. Like I didn't even see anybody you know there were times when you know I was working with the community befrienders there was time I would you know be brave enough to go to a shop but then it was so it was almost like taking 50 steps forward and taking like 200 steps back that was it was like a battle going on in my head.
0: Were you still caring for your mother at this point?
1: Yeah as well? yeah yeah she had other carers she yeah. had other carers come in at that point as well.
0: And how did you cope financially I mean it's you know, your your mum's ill. You you're not working, but I suppose you're getting some benefits or some some help.
1: Yeah. So for for carers in the UK, you get carers allowance. So I, I was getting paid carers allowance, and it's right. not it's not much, but for me, it wasn't about that. I think it was about the fact that I needed to some way get out there and just be confident again to do things. You know um but carer's allowance was that's how my base base income yeah
0: this next point of your journey this is the turning point this Mm. one everything changes and it starts where you leave your body yes Mm -hmm. how why what were (laughs) i I mean i've got 100 questions let's go
1: right okay so Uh, well, this is really hard to explain, but like I was laying on my bed one day.
0: Was there a trigger to this?
1: There was no trigger, nothing. I was still living the same life. I was still everything. Uh, Leading up to it, a week leading up to it, I felt really calm for some reason. I didn't, it was almost like I was, it was like the energy was coming in. Something was happening, but I wasn't aware of anything. But um, one, one evening around six o'clock, I think it was around six o'clock, I was laying on my bed and all of a sudden I just started, uh, my body started vibrating. It wasn't like shaking. It was like, zzz. that was the best way that I could describe it. it was, zzz. was like, <laughs> And, you know, and all of a sudden it just felt like something, it was like a pop. I don't know how to explain it, but like it was something like something just separated from my physical, physical to, you know, and I ended up in this place where everything was completely white. And it was when I was in that state, I I don't know how to describe it, but there's a state of consciousness, state of being, a state of place or wherever it was. It just felt like I was home. Yeah. This is where I'm originally from. And I felt the unconditional love of something that was bigger than myself. Yeah. And, and there was like, within the white light, there was like beams of light. There was just standing there without any, uh, there was souls standing, from my understanding, there was soul standing, standing there without any physical appearance. And uh, there was one beam of light and I went up to it. You don't even walk there. You're like, you like float there and, and your communication is like, through the mind. And I I floated up to one uh, light and he turned around and he turned into face of my dad. And he just smiled and he said, everything is okay. Don't worry. And as soon as he said that, I came back and I remember from my right leg to top of my head, my body was uh vibrating uh, uh, again that little vibration there and then all of a sudden all of my body was like vibrating I was like what is going on you know it's it was just it was scary and blissful at the same time don't know how to describe it it's just one one of the experience that you can't find the words to and then a week, like for a week, I didn't tell anyone what was going on. I was like, I thought I've gone mad. I'm losing my mind. Obviously I have no spiritual knowledge of what is go- what, it, what it was. And a week later, uh, same thing happened. You know, I ended up in this place where everything was white again. And I felt this huge bubble of energy just wrapped around me. And like I keep saying, the unconditional love of something that was just, It's something like that I've never felt before, not even from my parents. And um, as soon as I came back, I just started to open my eyes and I started mumbling. Thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, God, for everything. And I heard the loudest noise on my right ear that said, stay positive and keep going. That was the night from a person who couldn't leave the house without having panic attacks to doing everything, socialising, helicopter rides, and, you know, it was that turning point. Mm. It was that turning point.
0: I can relate to everything you're saying. Mm. I've had, which I've talked about before, I've had out-of-body experiences, and several. You know, I've experienced astral projection when I believe with the vibration, that frequency, it creates this separation where your non physical self can leave your body and when you do you experience this this warmth, this pure love that you feel like you could just bathe in it and you don't want to come back.
1: Mm. You know, the, f-
0: the first time I left my body, quite frightening. Mm. And then when this was many years ago, then I, I practised it, you mm. know, and I, I became able to do it more often and had some degree of control over it and just a wonderful period in my life you know and it changes everything because when you see what's on the other side
1: mm.
0: there's no fear
1: it was like i was given a new pair of eyes to see the world you
0: yeah
1: know, that 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 night was it was like all of my fears washed away and it was like just the light coming through it was like a knowing in a knowing that everything is okay everything is working out how it should be so it was like my brain went from victim mentality to darkness and you did this to me to complete flip. Oh, those experiences, I needed to go through them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was complete, like, switch. Yeah,
0: quite often in life, when we go through something, we'll, at the time, I think it's the end of the world, when I had my first nervous breakdown, i had you know, it was a game changer. It was all over, you mm-hmm. know, and I didn't want to be... Here. Then now I look back on it, I would not be sat here right now talking to you if I hadn't have been through those things. I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't have the wisdom that I've gained, some degree of wisdom. I wouldn't have written a book. I wouldn't have a radio show. Mm. I wouldn't be doing ultra on it. None of the things I'm doing now would have happened if mm. I didn't go through that. And I think a nervous breakdown or a, a spiritual awakening, the shift, whatever you want to call it, for a lot of people it's a necessary part of the spiritual process you have to you know you built this up and sometimes you've got to break it down again you've got to crack it that's how the light gets in you know
1: It's uh, you have to go through the darkness in order to see the light
0: yes absolutely what we didn't cover Medea and I think it's probably relevant now is tell us about your final moments with your father
1: yeah so um, now I had a fear of going to hospital at that time. Uh, And I used to talk to my dad over the phone. But when I found out that, you know, he's only got a couple of days to live, I eventually did end up going to the hospital. And, um, you know, the state of him was just horrendous. You can see his bones and uh, his beard was growing and he could barely talk. And, um, you know, my final words... Uh, were dad I don't know I just felt guided to say it dad if I've ever hurt you in any way please forgive me mm-hmm. and um, he he's like no you're you're my child um, that was the final words with my dad and you know I remember that for the rest of my life and that I got that closure
0: yeah This is why sometimes knowing somebody's about to transition, you can see it as a gift because you have the time to have that conversation. You have the time to get that closure. You do know that when you left your body, that beautiful feeling, that warmth, that being wrapped in love, that pure light, that thing you experienced, that's what your dad's experiencing all the time now.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: That's what Kelly Walsh, my friend who transitioned at the beginning of this week, she's there now. She's, she's not suffering anymore. She's in peace, you know, experiencing yeah. love. So
1: The way I describe death now is it's a promotion and it's not a death. It's yeah. a promotion to next level of existence.
0: Yeah. Basically, we never die. Yes. Uh, you close your eyes. That, that is you, your inner voice, your true self, your non-physical presence, your soul never dies and all we do is we move through different levels phases and transition through different you can call it dimensions whatever you want and we move we move on and so when we pass it's, it's not the end it's the beginning it's the oh, start think, yes. of the the nice bit of the journey where there's less suffering <laughs> yes you know so
1: but we need to come to this physical world first in order to like I said, in order to feel that darkness, in order to see the light. Yeah.
0: I think there's lessons we have to learn and yeah. unfortunately if you don't get them, you're gonna keep the, you're gonna keep coming back.
1: Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you so don't wanna do that. Pay attention, <laughs>
0: folks. If you're having a shit time, you've gotta figure it out now or you you'll be plunged yeah. back into it again. Get you into know?
1: your healing now, do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So on your journey, Medea, now, this is you're on a bit of a mission and for a couple of years you're doing a lot of Work on yourself. What does that involve?
1: So uh, after the awakening, uh, I, you know, I started doing everything like helicopter rides and started socializing, took up a photography course, and you know all of that I was doing externally, without any fear. But there was something that my sp- spirit or like my higher self was guiding me towards was going internal going inwards and looking at, looking at your trash, basically. So I every single day, I would say, I didn't even tell anyone what I was doing. That's the beauty of it all. I did not know anybody at that time. I did not know if, whether anybody else was experiencing that. Yeah, okay, I was looking on YouTube and things like that, what my experiences are. But, you know, going within yourself, doing that heavy work, I didn't tell anyone. I would just sit in a corner of my room and I, I would ask myself these two questions. How are you feeling today? Are you okay? And I would ask myself in the most compassionate and loving way, like how I would ask another human being. As soon as I would ask those questions, everything that I was, you know, suppressing over the years, it started to come up one by one, you know, everything about my dad, my mom, my rough childhood, and even some of the things that I didn't even realise that I was suppressing co- were coming up.
0: See, if you are suppressing something, they're never going to go away. When you resist something like that, it's... It persists. Yeah, it's just going to stay. What you resist persists, obviously. So what you've got to do is deal with it head on. The only way to dissolve it, transmute it, to make this thing go away is... Embrace it.
1: Embrace it and you know. feel the emotions of it. It's, it's so important for us mm. to feel our feelings because majority of us in our society, we run away from things. We run away from feelings. Or you know, you had a breakup. Oh no, I, I've I've moved on. I've healed. And then you go out partying and clubbing and you're not dealing with it you're suppressing it. And what happens is it gets buried inside of you. You try to shake it off from your positive mm. thinking, you know, it's, it's like bypassing the healing from mm. negative to positive and you try to shake it off. It's still there. You need to sort of purge it out of your system. And that's what I was doing for two years, purging, 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 purging until I sat one day and I was like, okay, what trauma am I going to like bring up for me to just heal? And it wasn't there, nothing was there. I felt so light and so calm. I was like, okay, let's try to look into a trauma of the teacher. Nothing was there. I was feeling love and compassion for her. Mm. And that moment I thought to myself, maybe,
0: I'm, just maybe. I'm perfect. Maybe I feel <laughs> past the trauma. And I did, Yeah, yeah, yeah. at
1: that moment, it's that, it was that easy.
0: Blaise Pascal says, all man's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in a room on his own. When you turn the lights off, when you're on your own and you go inward, there's there's nowhere to hide. You've got to deal with your shit. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the way to have a blissful life is if you've got trauma and stuff, face it, deal with it, get rid of it. Once you've dealt with a problem, when you've dealt with it head on, usually you only have to do that once and it's yeah. gone. Yeah. But if you keep burying it, suppressing it and don't deal with it and kidding yourself, pretending everything's okay and stuff, it'll never go away. No, you know. not
1: so. There's one thing, it's almost like peeling all the layers of the onion and once you peel that first layer, you can, you can easily go down to the core of it. It will keep popping up, but then you, you know what to do. You have and the tools to navigate.
0: Your mind and your subconscious is also very intelligent. It's very clever. For example, when you have dreams, dreams are a way of stuff that's going on in your mind, subconsciously you fall asleep and it helps process some stuff. But it, it doesn't overwhelm you, it does it gradually. Yeah. And the same usually doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's why you, mm. if you've got these issues, they'll pop up one at a time and you can process it. And it it's sort of... It's designed to work with you, if only you can see it that way.
1: Yeah. And another thing is like our society, you know, if you're listening to this and um, if you think, oh, well, I haven't been anything traumatic. I haven't been through anything big. Trauma doesn't have to be big. It could be a subtle thing that that you've been carrying all those years and it's getting bigger, bigger, bigger. and It's playing out in your life. So, you know, it's always wise to go in and dig in. What If I'm feeling this, these feelings and emotion, I'm reacting to this situation in this way, what happened to me in the past that's making me react in this way? Yeah.
0: And suffering, trauma, experiences, it's all relevant. Somebody who's got OCD and they lose the keys, it's a big problem, mm. you know. Somebody else can use millions of pounds, but if you've got... Ten billion pounds it's not really a problem mm. it's relative, and yeah. so to belittle anybody else's suffering or trauma mm. is is a bit foolish really and naive it it depends yeah. you know, it's relative, so yeah. what isn't a big problem to me could be a huge problem to somebody yeah. else
1: yeah, so it's yeah that's that's the way you should look at it you know um, that's the perfect way to look at it big, small whatever trauma is a trauma
0: next. And this is, we're coming more into the present moment now, and yeah. you're gaining momentum. <laughs> you've left your body, you've come back, you've done a bit of inner work, you're, you're off, and you start public speaking.
1: Yes. And
0: obviously, I'm going to swear, you must be pretty fucking good at it <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you've won awards. So tell us about this journey. What,
1: right. So, after two years of intense healing, um, I started uh, asking the questions. Um, universe, what do I do now? I'm stuck. What do I do? What do you want me to do, Universe? And I had a thought, let it go to the Universe because I'm a great believer in the Universe. So whenever the time is right. So a couple of weeks later, after I just had that thought, uh, my I was at the Law of Attraction meetup, actually. And we were standing outside the building with me and there were other people, me and my friend. And she was an actress and she goes to me. Uh, she gets stage fright and she wants to do public speaking. I was like, what is public speaking? And she's like, you know, you go on stages and I thought it was just a business conference thing. I didn't really think much of it. And she goes, well, you can share your story on stage. I was like, okay. So while we were talking about public speaking, these two guys popped out of the building talking about public speaking at the same time. Mm
0: -hmm. Synchronicity alignment.
1: Yes. And like they teach public speaking. And I was like, okay, so she did not go for it. I went for it (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it was like, I asked for a sign. Maybe that's a sign. And so I took it on and like for three months, I I ended up doing research on public speaking and obviously taking courses. And I ended up on a stage in front of over 100 people. That was my first live talk. Uh, I was sharing my story. and And then three months later, I ended up on stage again, 250 people sharing what I did after my story, you know, the inner healing I was telling you about. Um, and then that just led on for me to be like nominated for the Best Female Inspirational Person Award, which I went on to win. And I spoke to over 200 people at the event as well. It was just incredible, yeah. incredible.
0: Yeah, considering... The story so far and the fact that you, you didn't really go outside much for 10 years and that you had terrible anxiety and panic attacks, it's a, it's a beautiful story.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, now I look back at those times, I'm so grateful that I went through it. Because those experiences have shaped me into a person that I'm, I've become and I'm becoming. It's not over yet. This is just the beginning.
0: Of course. This is the point where you you also are doing some work for TEDx at this point then.
1: While I was doing public speaking, this guy Dominic, he was uh, he was organizing a TEDx event um, for in Preston, and I just somehow ended up on the TEDx team uh, because we have contacts, and and I just ended up being that's marketing lead on on the social media, the official TEDx, and
0: see. You know where this has got to go. You need to do a 10x. Yeah, I know, right?
1: I'm putting it out in the universe. It's gonna happen. Well, it's already you, happened.
0: You've won an award for <laughs> motivational person speaker of the year. You've been speaking in front of pretty large numbers of people now. I mean, why not? Yes. You know what I mean. Yes. That's what you're out. <laughs> so a lot of people ask themselves, "Oh, it won't happen to me, or why?" And I'm the other way. I'm thinking, "Why not? No,
1: why not? It is. It's already done. It's just the yeah. timing of it. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. You just got to wait your timing of it." It was an incredible event, though. Amazing event. So many people turned up, so many amazing speakers, amazing experience. Look back that I couldn't even leave the house. Now I'm like, you know, working at TEDx and on stages. It's just an incredible journey.
0: Yeah. Tell us about the music video where you're dressed as a warrior, queen, princess, (laughs) whichever, in armor. And you did this video shoot. Tell us about that
1: yeah so basically you know when I won the award, the guy who organizes uh, the the ceremony, the award ceremony is a singer. So uh, he he was looking for warriors and I was I happened to have, me, I'm a warrior. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I happen to have a Katniss Everdeen uh, costume.
0: Because. Um,
1: yeah, because, well, I went to a birthday party <laughs> <laughs> and it was a movie theme. And I was uh, like, because I'm a warrior, I'm going to buy Katniss Everdeen's uh, costume. So I had it in my like uh, wardrobe for ages. I was like, yes, I got another chance to wear it. And he's like, I showed him the dress, uh, the uh, dress, and he's like, yeah, yeah, bring it over. Will uh, you'll be in my video? And I was like, yes, I've got, I've got a bow, but I've got no arrow. Right. <laughs> so he gave me the sword. So I just, we just ended up in Huddersfield near a waterfall, and I was like, you know, I got, I got my professional um, photographer who's my amazing, amazing friend. She follows me around, Lily. She follows me around everywhere. So She's like, I'm gonna be taking photos of you, like dressed as a badass warrior. And it was just an incredible day out. Like, you know, I was just standing there with the sword. And you know, when the video came out, and you know, they they made it into like a really. I learned how the the filming works as well. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not exactly like, you know, when they're fighting with swords, it's obviously they're miles away from each other. But then there's the editing that comes into it. it is incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who knew? I mean, imagine if your old self sat in your house, curtain twitching because you're frightened to go outside and you'd see somebody walk past dressed as a warrior, a badass warrior, and you'd be like, <laughs> my God, who's that? It's me. <laughs> it's you know? to
1: me. Yeah. <laughs> never thought, never a million years did I think I would, I would get to that place.
0: You've also now done a contribution to a book, haven't you, a story to a book that's going to be published. What's that called?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, Tales to Inspire. So Tales to Inspire were one of the first uh, platform who shared my story on their platform. So my story was one of the 23 stories that they uh, published in the book. Yeah. and it's, Is this like
0: a synopsis, a shorter version of, you know, what you've been through, your inspirational yeah. story?
1: Yeah, so yeah. Uh, basically all the 23 stories, like, were of what, Adversity that people've been through, yeah. And uh, my story was one of them. It's just incredible. Like I said before, like if you'd asked me like ten years ago, even five years ago, would I be in a book? Never even. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, why not? Always ask yourself. Why why? not? Why not? (laughs) Yeah. And we're bringing you right into the present moment now, and incredibly, this involves. Bob Doyle from The Secret. And we've talked about The Secret on the show before. It had a massive impact on my life. Initially, I saw the movie. Then I read the book and I'm going right back to like 2006, 2007. My back, which I showed you, Mm -hmm. is covered with tattoos, quotes from The Secret. And even now, about 12 months back, I watched it again. I've watched it many, many times because... Sometimes it's really good just to remind yourself because it might have been the start of my journey and it might be now looking at other things that I've read. It might seem a bit simplified, but then Mm. you forget. Mm. And I watched it again and I went, oh, that's what I'm doing wrong. And you you forget some basics. So whatever anybody else says, it's been a massive part of my journey. And Bob Doyle was, he's out of the movie, The Secret, you know, Mm. and a very inspirational guy. So how did that come about?
1: So I was at events now. I'm I'm at events every, everywhere now. <laughs> this is my theme now. And I was at this event and uh, you know, before, it's quite funny. I tell you how I, I kind of came across the secret. One of my friends, when I was going through darkest time, she was more conscious and aware. She gave, she sent me uh, the secret CD for, for my birthday. And I just brushed it aside. What is this woo-woo stuff? I don't care about it, you know. Uh, but obviously, she planted that seed in me, yeah. which came into fruition. Anyway, so... Um, I was at, I ended up at this event, and when I saw the movie, I really wanted to meet someone from The Secret. You know, it's like I don't care who it, who it is. I really want to meet someone from The Secret. And uh, we were at this networking evening um, event, and he was flying in from uh, from America. And I, it just happened that I was gonna go to the toilet, and he was just coming in in the hotel.
0: So you were stalking him.
1: Yeah, well, basically, yes. <laughs> I sent Universe to get, get, do that work. And he's like, I'm stalking him. stalking so he's coming in in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he was coming in and I was going to the toilet. We just crossed paths and I was like... <gasps> oh my god the first question are you mr bob doyle from the secret (laughs) why would you ask of course he's mr bob doyle from the secret and he goes yes and i was like can i give you a fist bump and i gave him a fist bump and he he remembers that like every time we speak now he remembers that and then i got a photo with him and got um and then i was like during the event while he was he was co-hosting the event I saw him in the background sitting with nobody while other speakers were speaking. And I was like, this is my opportunity to go up to him and just chill out with him. Cause he's got no one sitting with him. I went over to him. I put my uh, hand and uh, my um, arm on his shoulder. And I go to him. Can I do a Facebook live with you? And he goes, do I have to? I was like, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And then I got him to do Facebook live. Yeah. And then he, since then, he's my friend now.
0: So your podcast, yeah. And it's on YouTube. Yes, it's called Soul Awakenings, which is a beautiful name actually, and very appropriate because your awakening came when your soul left your body. Mm. Or you know, you created this separation from your non-physical and physical self when you had no-to-body experience. But yeah, you've done a, about ten of these now, haven't you? The Soul yeah. Awakenings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the the idea behind the soul awakening was to help people navigate through their spiritual awakening. Because when I was going through it, even though it was blissful, it was hard as well. Because you know when your your thought process and your new way of being changes, you need that. You need a place to go to. So my platform is basically for them to come
0: to. I mean, without if it's all new to you. And you've not got that support network around you. You can think you're going crazy. Yes. You know, you think, what's going on? Yes.
1: It's so important for you to recognize that it's a spiritual awakening and not a mental breakdown.
0: This is it, because the start of my spiritual awakening was a nervous breakdown. Yes. And at the time, I didn't know what was going on. And I just thought it was the end of the world. And like I said, I just didn't want to be here. couldn't be around people. And yeah, I was suicidal. Now, I know that that was the point where my external world, the actions and the way I felt inside, was so out of alignment that something had to give and it broke.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that connection broke and I had to start again. Yeah. You know, but there's a quote I use in the book and I say you can't build the truth on a lie.
1: No.
0: In order to you can't just tidy this bit up. Sometimes you've got to you've got to start from the beginning, fresh foundations.
1: Yes. You know. And, and do, that's what a spiritual awakening does. You yeah. have to. It's like a clean slate.
0: What's next for Medea <laughs> Besides world domination. And...
1: Well, that is part of the plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, but besides from going to, going all over the world, uh, speaking and then giving people hope. Um, right now, I always stay in the present moment. I don't plan ahead. You know, uh, I do have goals and dreams, but like it's like. I let my soul guide me in which direction that I need to take. So right now I'm focusing on the podcast and getting that message out there. You know, it's a platform for people to come and, uh, you know, tap into the experience and knowledge of uh, experts like, you know, Mr. Bob Doyle, who Mm -hmm. I got him on the series too, and and, uh, meditation, yoga, and spiritual awakening, dark night of the soul, that's one of the topics. And, you know, that's where I'm basing around right now. So when things, when we get out of lockdown, things may start to, you know, open up and I'll open up, the more doors will open up.
0: So, Medea, if somebody wants to listen to your podcast, where did they go?
1: So, it's my podcast called Soul Awakenings with Madea Sosin. So, you can, you can uh, listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can also uh, watch, watch the episodes on my YouTube channel, Mads Kona, M A D Z, Kona, as in standing in a corner. <laughs>
0: okay. What's your website called?
1: My website is MadeaSosin.com.
0: Spell that for us
1: M A D I H A dot com.
0: Okay. Social media channels. What are your handles and which ones are you on?
1: Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So you can find me on Facebook, Madea Sosin. And you can also find me on Instagram, Madea Sosin1.
0: Okay. Instagram, Madea Sosan one Yeah. And just spell Madea Sosan one last time for us. Okay.
1: M-A-D-I-H-A.
0: Yes.
1: S-O-S-A-N.
0: Okay. When this video goes live on YouTube, underneath in the information and in the text, I'm going to put the links for your website, your YouTube channel, and we'll also put two or three, probably Facebook and Instagram, for your social media. So if somebody wants to look at what you're doing, get in touch with you, and connect with you, boom, they can go straight in. Fantastic. Okay. My dear. Oh, my dear. <laughs> it's been lovely having you on the show. Really glad you came. You've got a lovely energy. It's a beautiful story. And I think this is just the beginning. I think great things ahead.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I absolutely loved uh, being interviewed by you. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my story.
0: You're absolutely bloody welcome. (laughs) Thank
1: you.
0: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Medea. Thank you. Okay, folks, this has been episode number 68 with Medea Sosan. And it's called Medea's Magic. I'm going to leave you with a quote now from my first book, From Pills to Peace. And it's by myself, Midnight McBride. My Bride. And it's simply this. When your response to every situation is love, you have become the light. And I thought that was relevant because I think that's what Medea's doing now. You can catch this show every Monday and Thursday on YouTube. And you could subscribe and you'll get notifications. You can get the audio podcast for this show, which comes out three days later, and that's on Spotify, Podbean, Amazon, Google, iTunes, and a lot of others. You can listen to the radio show every Monday night on Solver City Radio, 94.4 FM. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can go to the website, MidnightMcBride.com, and you can buy the first book, From Pills to Peace, on Amazon, and in a lot of other places, and that's in Kindle and paperback form. And you can also get the audiobook on iTunes, ACX, and Audible. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next time. Shalom.